Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. This program is produced weekly by the Christ Life Fellowship. Check us out, christ-life.org. Warren Litzman has us into the fundamentals of the Christ Life message. It's been so interesting and so rewarding to hear these wonderful archival messages that Warren left behind. Right now, we are going into part two of the episode, Dividing Soul and Spirit. It's very interesting, and we appreciate all of you who have commented on last week's version, and uh, we know you'll enjoy this one as well. Let's get right into it. Here's Warren. So the second deliverance was, was in the word doth. This is the word did here. We did get deliverance. We doth are being delivered. And the third deliverance that he mentions here will be, the will be, the third deliverance is in body. That's where we will be delivered. So the apostle spoke of the tripartite man here. What I want to do was to take these two very hard verses of scripture and stimulate your thinking to what it is that God is really doing. What is he really doing? What is he really up to? Well, the big thing God is doing is separating soul and spirit, the writer of Hebrews says. That's where the greatest dynamic of God is working. That's where he is dividing asunder something. Well, we don't have that keenly in our preaching today. Our preacher boys coming out of seminary and, and Bible school don't have that uh, fixed in them like they ought to. What they have still is Moses' gospel being operated. Mm -hmm. You know what Moses' gospel is? Moses' gospel is where you join these two together. And you say, well, I'm going to try to do my best, Lord, to please you. And if I please you, I know you'll accept me. That's Moses' gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's the way God had people living for 1,700 years in Israel. And even the 4,300 years from Adam onward. So we've been getting a gospel that doesn't have the division of soul and spirit. What does it mean? Well, it, it means many blessed things. The first deliverance means that I have been born again. I have been birthed. I have God's seed in me. What does that mean? That means that the real me is this person in me. Galatians 2 and 20. I, the I over here, I no longer live, yet I'm alive. I don't live as an I anymore, but I do live. How do you live? I have another person in me, and this person expresses himself by me. Now, that's the seed. That was put there by God. I have been born again. But you know, I don't live that like I ought to. I don't express that like I ought to. I don't overcome according to Christ in me. I'm growing. I'm doing better. 
And that's why the writer of Hebrews said you have to separate these two. Because if you don't separate soul and spirit, you're going to feel like Christ is canceled every time you fail to live it. Every time you backslide. Every time you fall short. As if God's seed was not eternal at all. So the writer of Hebrews says that it isn't our spirits that are being saved. It's our souls that's being saved. What is your soul? That's where you come to know who you are and obey and take responsibility and do what it is you ought to do before God. Well, because we have divided these two, we have multitudes of people today who commit sin as a punishment to their guilt because they see they can't live it. The preacher will say, as I have many times, folks, you're born again, you have eternal life dwelling in you, and before I get through, I'll say, and if you're not all here Wednesday night, you're going to go to hell. <laughs> See? See, what I did was violate my own wording. What, what is that? That's, that's co-mingling. I have mixed Moses' gospel, where you had to do something to be who you were, God counted it unto you. If you give your tithes, pray through, fast, do all these things, God will count it unto you as righteousness. That's Moses' gospel. But the writer of Hebrews says, now we've lived long enough. He's the last writer to the church age, short of John's epistles. And he says, we're going to have to separate soul and spirit or people never will grow up in the Lord. How do we handle guilt? If you don't have soul and spirit divided, separated by the preaching of the word, then what you do is every time you fail to do something you should do, which is a mind thing, a soulish thing, immediately you nullify Christ as in you. When you live as if Christ were not in you, it means you've taken the whole responsibility soulishly as if you had never been birthed. Now let me explain it very simple to you. I got mad at my mom and daddy lots of times. In my mind right now, I can see myself running down the block uh, to where a bunch of trees and me sitting under a tree crying when I was a boy because I so mistreated at home. I sat there and thought about maybe I'm going to run away. I'm just going to get away from these mean people that uh, don't see eye to eye with me. But you know what? I had all kinds of violent thoughts. But I can't ever remember the thought coming to me that I wasn't my mother and father's child. It never did even enter my mind. Why? They birthed me. And because I was theirs, I was so mad at them. They didn't take better care of me. Well, you know what's happened to us as Christians? Our being born again has become contingent on what we do, not on the birthing. So the writer of Hebrews says, you're never going to grow up in the Lord until you get a gospel preached to you that separates these two because one of those is already perfect. The other is growing. See, it, it's, it's coming along. That's in your thinking. 
Now, let me explain how guilt works. If you don't do what it is you think you ought to do, guilt sets in. The human being is so constructed, probably by Satan's long tenure in our bodies, operating as ourself, to where we immediately think, I must punish myself. So how does a person punish themselves? By turning around and thinking, what is the worst thing that ever happened to me? Well, the worst thing that ever happened to me is me getting in this jam. It's like an alcoholic. He drinks, hurts everybody, hurts himself, and then feels real guilty, and then wants to punish his guilt, so he thinks, what must I do to punish my guilt? And so the thing he does is go back and do the same thing that brought him into the mess in the first place. That's the way addiction takes hold. He drinks, he hurts, he gets full of guilt, he punishes guilt by drinking. And so now he's addicted. It's a hopeless cycle. But believe it or not, that's what Christians live in. That's why Romans 8 and 1 says, to those who know that they're in Christ, there is no condemnation. They will not take it again. Didn't say they wouldn't fail, didn't say they wouldn't sin, but they will not take condemnation again because they know who they are. Who are they? They're in Christ. Christ is in them. That part is delivered already. They're delivered from death. They're out of Satan's nature. They're out of Satan's hole. Satan may operate uh, through their soul, but he has to do it from the outside. He may fire fiery darts, but he has to do it from the outside. And while I'm on Satan, remember this. When we talk about Satan's nature in a human being, we are not talking about demon possession. It is not demon possession. Demon possession has nothing to do with spirit. Demon possession is solely in the soulish area. It has to do with the mind, will, and emotions. That's where Satan takes over as a power. He cannot take over a spirit as long as you're born again. But he can take over in your soulish part. And he does. So we're not talking about demon possession. That's another matter altogether. When I say Satan is our nature, that doesn't mean you cast him out. You couldn't cast that out if you tried a million times. That's where Calvary came in. Only Calvary put Satan out and Christ in. Only Calvary gives God the right to exchange Satan for Christ. That's where the cross was necessary. So there's nothing church men, anybody else, man, anybody else can do anything at that juncture. So... The separation of the two is the absolute necessity for your growth. What does it mean? It means this. If you know that you stand before God perfect because he birthed you, you're his child. Even though you're in trouble and in need, you're his child. If you really know that and that word is preached to you, you know what I believe? I believe you'll walk more circumspectly. I believe you'll walk in the Spirit more. I believe you'll obey God more. And I believe in your soul you'll be hungry to know who you are. Because you won't have to beat yourself anymore because you're wrong. Amen. That's the gospel. That's why he said we've got to separate these two. Well... Let's look at some of the, the parallels that, uh, that uh, flow out of this. Already in first deliverance, 
you are saved. In soul, you're being saved. In body, resurrection morning, you will be saved. Isn't that simple? For you scriptorians or you theologians, in spirit, we're actually Calvinist. See, this, because these men didn't know the birthing, we can see something they didn't see. In soul, we're Arminist. See? It's okay to tell somebody to get holy. But you never say that to get them to be who they are. Because you can't get them to be any more than they already are. You understand the difference there? So all our hard preaching hadn't been to make people better. You understand that? I grew up in the Holiness Church. I grew up where if the preacher didn't preach it red hot and make us all feel like we were going to hell, we didn't think we'd been to church. I mean, if it was just prayer meeting night. He had to find something he could jump on if it was a woman sitting on the front row. <laughs> and usually it was. There was something wrong with them. Chatterboxes, long tongues, look at their hair. No sleeves on their dresses. They're going to all go to hell if they don't straighten up. <laughs> See? And the hotter he preached it, the more we shouted amen, the quicker we got in the altar, the less good it did. The biggest waste of time you ever saw. That was religion. If we didn't get it like that, we didn't feel like we'd been to church. It's just like I think people today are so browbeat over money in these big super churches that if the preacher doesn't take an hour to talk about money when they go, they don't think they've been to church. You know. It's amazing. The thing that had happened to people uh, when we don't preach the true gospel. So uh, we are Calvinist in spirit. Right, I'm saved. But there is a part of me that doesn't manifest that. And that's my soul. And if you separate the scriptures properly, you'll see this. The first three or four chapters of every one of Paul's epistles or that we stand perfect before God in Christ's position. The last three or four chapters of every epistle is for the soul. Be kind, be good, loving. Do this, pay your bills. Walk circumspectly. What is he saying? The first part is for spirit. That tells you who you are. The last part of the epistles are love commandments. None of those love commandments that go to the soul can change what's happened in spirit. If every sinning Christian knew that, he'd quit his sinning. Why? Because he had fallen in love by soul with this Christ that's in him. You know why I don't sin? It's because I love that Jesus is in me. Since I see Christ as my only life, I'm so in love with him, I don't want to do what is wrong. But you could preach hellfire to me and it wouldn't matter to me at all. You wouldn't change one thing. But if I could preach to you that you had been birthed by God, if by your confession you say you're born again, then I'll preach to you that Christ lives in you and you stand perfect before God by that Christ nature. If you're not expressing it, if you're not living it, your problem is you're not in love with the Christ that's in you. So don't tell me you love God. See, let's just face the issue. It isn't God out there somewhere you need to love. It's the God that's in you.
That's the one you need to fall in love with. And when you do, he will start like a river of flowing water moving through you, carrying out the pollution and the sin and the disobedience and the shame. That's his purpose. Uh, the division between soul and spirit, when it is clear, this is what you have. You have in spirit Christ alive or Christ working. In soul, you have the Holy Spirit working. What is the Holy Spirit to the believer? Well, we present him as power. But I believe that power is in a knowing. John 14, 15, and 16 gives us seven accounts where Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be working in the soulish part of man as a teacher, a revealer, a guide, a spirit of truth, all which had to do with the soul, all which had to do with learning, knowledge, understanding, and revelation. So, once you clarify this, you're well off. When a person is full of the Holy Spirit, he has given soul to the Spirit so that Christ can flow through him. There is no life in the Holy Spirit. Now, we, we need to be careful there. The life is in the Son. See, what we've done is said that the Holy Spirit is Christ, and that's the error, biggest error in Christianity, is not rightfully dividing the work of the Holy Spirit and Christ because they're two distinctive persons who have two distinctive missions in God's plan. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to reveal the Christ that is in us. Jesus says, when he comes, he shall not speak of himself, he shall speak only of me. He shall take the things of mine and reveal them unto you. And then Paul has over 20 scriptures where he says the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ. Now, if we can get that in our mind, we're better off. Because the power we have comes when this life flows out of us, when this life begins to flow. That's the power to the believer. I have no life of my own. The Holy Spirit doesn't give me life except as he informs me of who I am in Christ. Do I have that power and that life? Acts 1 and 8 says after that the Holy Ghost. Why do you say after? didn't mean just the day of Pentecost. It meant that after the Holy Ghost has begun his work in the Greek. When he begins his work, then you have power. We know that has to be so because multitudes talk in tongues who didn't get an ounce of power, got a lot of emotion, but didn't get any power. The power comes with the understanding in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we have a, a person filled with the Holy Spirit, a person baptized in the Holy Why do we say the baptism of the Holy Ghost is subsequent to regeneration? Because that's our key message in the Spirit-filled circles. It comes after you're born again. Why do we say that? Because it has to do with soul. That's the part of us where we need the help. That's where we need the guidance. That's where we need the teacher. Why? We already have Christ in us. That was by birthing. That was God putting his seed in us. God, in a cohabitative act of love, put his own seed in us and birthed another person and depends on that other person. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, is to reveal that to us and to make that known to us. Now, what this literally means then is that in spirit we are beers. Beer. 
tell that to Jesse Marie this weekend. What a beer is. Jesse Marie up and heard me say that for a long time, that we were beers. And finally one day she interrupted the class and said, why are you talking about beer all the time? She hadn't gotten it. We are beers. Beers. Why? We can't be anything else but beers. We're I amers. He who said I am all those times. That's what we are. We're I amers now. We've been birthed. I'm not trying to be a child of God. I'm birthed to be one. I'm born again. I are one. Good. <laughs> then worries that we do our works. If I'm a beer in spirit, where's my works come in? Here's my works. My works are in soul and body. So you need the separation of the two. Well, let's take the issue of sin now. In 1 John uh, 5 and 18, uh, John says, Whosoever is birthed of God cannot commit sin. It says the same thing in 1 John 3. Does not commit sin. Well, what do we have here? That spirit. Who is it that can't sin? Christ. Christ in me. See, now I know I'm really uh, harboring on a, on a lucid point here, but it isn't being full of the Holy Spirit that makes us who we are. It's knowing Christ as our life. That's who we are. I'm not the Holy Spirit. That doesn't degrade him, low-rate him. That puts him in his proper place where God intended that that part of God be. God the Holy Spirit has but one mission, and that's to make the Son alive, real, to believers. Well, First John tells us, to uh, think about three times, that whoever it is that's been birthed cannot sin. So there is no sin in spirit. That's First John 5 and 18, let's say. But over here in First John 1 and 8, he says, If we saith we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Now, you know how we do this in Institute. Uh, some of you have been in Institute. I'll make you go through First John uh, 1, uh, the last latter verses, and the first verse of First John 2, and mark all those us's in there. Us, 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 we, we, we. Ah, he's not talking about Jesus at all. Well, where is the us? Where is the us? Here's the us. That's the self here. We're the us. We're the we's. If you go through there and mark every one of those, you see where he's putting the responsibility for sinning. So he he not uh, he not forky tongue. You foreigners, that's Texas talk from the Indians. He don't have a forked tongue. He's not saying in the latter part of that first epistle, no sin in the first part, lots of sin. What he's saying there is a division between soul and spirit. He's saying in the first part, 1 John 8, that if we say in our souls we're not going to sin, we're lying, the truth is not in us. But if we say in the spirit we sin, we lie because we can't sin. Because that's where Christ is. 
That's Christ. See, there's no nature of my own. There's no life of my own. The life is in the Son. Now, how is it that a believer sins of himself? Well, it's real simple at this point. All during the years of Satan's occupancy, when Satan was the nature, how did he operate? John says that he was the murderer, he was the liar, he was the one set against God. So what did he do to, to his believers? He operated through them, took over their mind from within, and then expressed it through their body. Well, suddenly when God put Satan out and Christ in, you can see right off, that's a, that's a big joke. There's no more going to be coming from here. But you got a problem in the soul. Because nowhere in the scriptures is there instant salvation for the soul. No, it wasn't even for Abraham instant. It was counted. I don't know how long God counted, but it was counted. There is no instant salvation for the soul. So let's separate that a moment. That's why the writer of Hebrews said we need to separate soul and spirit because there will never be instant salvation for soul. And see how men have wrestled? Because they didn't see the birthing, men have wrestled with, with a lot of things coming to this date. For instance, men have said, well, uh, we got to get this part of man himself completely sanctified. we got to get him where there is no sin in soul and body and so what do we do? We externally worked on people. We hit them over the head when we preached. We fussed at the women for the way they dressed and the way they lived. And our youth, we ran all them off from the church in the past generation. But we did everything we could to try to clean up this outer man here. All of which didn't matter to God at all. Because there's never going to be salvation for that soul. Now, notice this. There is finally salvation for the body. There is now salvation for spirit, but there is never salvation for the soul anywhere. So let me talk about it a moment. When you die, whatever you have on your mind when you die, I believe now, I can't give you a lot of scripture for this, but after many years of reading and studying, this is what I believe. I believe that the moment you die, whatever you have on your mind at that moment will be the first thought you have on this mind when you receive salvation for body on the resurrection morning. And it will be as if there was only a fleeting second between your death and the resurrection body. Whatever period of time went by, you were with the Lord, and it didn't matter. And we can't pin it down. We have no scriptures to pin it down, so everybody has their own belief. But after years of following firm and godly teachers, I see that the moment you die, whatever's on your mind, good or bad, will be your first thought in resurrection body. So what does that mean? That means that the soul will keep on growing throughout eternity. What do you grow in? The things of the Lord. The very things we're growing in now. For instance, a verse, a scripture Paul gives us says, 
that on the resurrection morning, when we see him, we shall be changed and be like him. Maybe that same verse, or maybe it's another one, says, when we see him, we shall see him as he is. We you wonder why that was in there? That means for all of these believers that's been growing in, in Christ, growing, growing in grace, that's growing up in this Christ that's in you, coming to his knowledge and understanding, all of those believers are going to see something on the resurrection morning. Well, bless God, there's Jesus. And that's the very thought and idea that's been in my mind all those years on earth. And all that didn't grow in what it is we're talking about are going to see on the resurrection morning, my God, I've got to start all over. I don't have this at all in my thinking. Just like an old codger said to me one time, said if we're all going to be saved by grace anyhow, no sense sitting in all these meetings. <laughs> See? No sense going to church. We're going to all make it anyhow. I said that's all right, but there's one important point you've missed. And that is you don't have a love affair going. You see, somewhere along the way in my walk with the Lord, dumb as I was, I fell in love with him. And all I've ever wanted was him since. I mean, before I ever heard of the Christ life. I just wanted more and more. That's why I became Pentecostal. That's why I was charismatic. That's why I was in deeper life. That's why I went into faith ministry. I wanted more of God. I'd do anything to get more of God. See? It's a love affair with me. And now then that I found out that it isn't ministries that I needed, it was Him. There's a great relief that's coming. I'm so in love with the Christ that's in me. Because I have this blessed book that tells me what's in His mind, and that's becoming my mind to go with this Christ that's in me. And I'm living in freedom. Absolute freedom. I don't have to do one blessed thing to be a child of God. And yet I go harder and longer than I ever had before. Because I love him. So on the resurrection morning, you're going to see this. The reason we sit here and learn now is because we've fallen in love with him. The multitudes of church people out here who know nothing about body, soul, and spirit, or who they are in Christ, or God nature in them, and yet they're God's children, fairly born again, are going to start at the first grade on the resurrection morning. And you know what's going to happen to some of us? He'll trust us with greater responsibility because the scripture says so. Why? We fell in love with him. We wanted to know him. We wanted to be his bona fide children now. I mean, I don't want to sit in these classes all the time when I get to heaven. I'd like to operate in pure Holy Ghost powers, we say. I mean, I'd like to get out there where they're really setting them free and all. That's right. So, now, getting back to the same question. What is it that happened... The moment you were born again and Christ came in, no change in soul. Never is there change in soul. We will allow this. We'll say that when you are born again, you have a you have a point one to start. God by grace giving you the opportunity to let the word take hold, the root grow deep. But there's no instant change in that mind. So what you have here in the mind of a new convert is a mind that's been used by Satan all their life. Mm -hmm. And so they may curse after they're saved for a while. Mm 
Tell a dirty story. That's right. Take a drink. They, uh, they, uh, multitudes of them kept on smoking, much as I hate smoking. Uh, yet, I believe they were born again. Well, we almost fixed them so they weren't saved if they didn't do it like we wanted them to do it. That was our law, commingled gospel. Uh, we couldn't do anything but stereotype them because uh, they wanted to do something in the church. We had everybody in our church looking like ducks in a row, you know, all of them, just alike. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there too. Uh, so Satan had used that mind, you see. He had used that mind. So what does it mean? It means that the mind is like a haunted house, your soul. I mean, you've got a new occupant living in that house, but there's still a lot of those old feelings. Did you ever read Romans 7? That's why I love to talk about believer wives, because that's what this self is, is a believer wife. The wife in Romans 7 had spooks in her house. <laughs> See, she was still going back in her mind to first husband, Satan, mm -hmm. and was carrying on a flirtatious affair, a perverted affair, an adulterous affair, Paul called it. Why? She still had this problem of not being able to handle the mind properly. So, what happened in Paul's experience was that had he not had the revelation of Jesus Christ when he did, he had lost his spirit. He had lost out with God. But he ends up in Romans 7 and 25 and says something very important. He says, oh, I see something now. He says, I see now with this man I can serve the law of sin. Because my mind's accustomed to it. Or I can with this man serve the law of life in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't separate the two, you got a problem because you'll just feel hopeless lost and hopeless and that's what we've done to multitudes of people because we didn't take time to preach the gospel to them obviously people have got this in things in their mind uh, we can stereotype them for a while you know that we can bring uh, on a little kid a new convert a babe in Christ you can hit him over the head several times and say well if I'll do my best I'll keep on trying but you're not going to change them until they begin to hear a gospel about who they are in Christ. See, you remember what I told you about the deep root of the law, what we usually say to them? We say, now, honey, if you want to live for God, come to church every meeting, pay your tithes, I pray and do this and do that. What do we do? We put them right back in the deep root of the law. That's the way Satan had used them before. So that fits, sure, we're going to do that. Be a good Christian, I'm going to be right there. You got it backwards. You're going to be right there if you love him. Mm -hmm. right. There's not anything more devilish than to get a church full of people that are there out of law. Because a poor song leader has to hit them over the head. Come on, folks, sing. Come on, everybody smile. Come on, folks, put a little happiness in it. Look like you're excited this morning. See, there's no joy in that. There's no fun in that. <laughs> and there's no fun in that. They don't know who they are. So the poor folks have come out of a wild Saturday night where the spooks in their house have, have been wrestling their wings around. And, and uh, they need to do something real bad. And so the preacher says, well, I'm going to get them to do something. So let's get them to doing something, and 
and I had many a service where I didn't even preach. I just called them and got them all down that altar to pray through. Uh-huh. See how they're going to all go to hell or whatever it was. <laughs> all right. So much for the sin question. Remember this now. Your spirit is a knower. Where is it you're led? You're led in your soul. Just a lot of the parallels. If you don't separate soul and spirit, you're going to fight the struggle of self-effort and self-indulgence all your Christian life. When you hear me talk like this, you think, well, he just doesn't believe in anything. But after going on 41 years now of preaching, I can tell you with a full assurance that me preaching it hard to people to do what I want them to do has really helped a lot of them. That's right. It really hadn't helped. But I'll tell you there are people all over this land today that have found out who they are in Christ. And they're beginning to live it. And they're finding joy and happiness. They're not perfect. The stereotype religion looks at them and says, my God, they're sure evil people. But they're willing because they know who they are. They're not starting over point one every time. They're bringing the mind under subjection. They're allowing this mind to be in them that was also in Christ Jesus. They are being translated. Amen. Romans 12. Be not conformed to this world. You translate it by the renewing of your mind. The translation must take place in your mind. There's no more that can be done in spirit. No more God. There's no more God to. We need to tell every believer there's no more of God for you in the spirit. There's no more God can put in that seed. Once a seed is planted, that's it. The person is there. You can't add to it. So there's no more that can be put of God there. What can change is your manifestation, your expression of it. But don't confuse the expression with the person. See, I was never a good son to my father by expression, but he was my father and I was his son. So you don't want to confuse the two. Well, enough said about all that. I think I'll stop. We've been listening to part two of Warren Litzman's session on dividing soul and spirit. How interesting this has been, and we hope you've enjoyed this as much as you did last week on part one. We're sure you did. Don't forget to check our website out, christ-life.org. Read all about us. Check it out. You can find materials there, free materials, on how you can start your own in-home meetings with the Christ Life message. It's really fulfilling. I do it, and many people around the world are doing it, and we would love for you to do it too and help share this in Christ message. We want to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful sessions from Warren Litzman. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.